A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll, and we're getting our rock on today with another rock and roll Hall of Famer, the legendary Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols. My second member of the Sex Pistols that have been on. I had a Glenn Matlock on about a year ago. Now Steve Jones is here, and he's getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but not for the Sex Pistols and not for music. He's being inducted in the class of 2018 thanks to his radio career. He's the host of Jonesy's Jukebox on KLOS in Los Angeles, and his long-running show earned him the star. So congrats to Steve for that, and boy, does he deserve it. He is hilarious, man. I'd never met Steve before, but uh, what a firecracker. Funny guy, great guy, what a brother. We're going to talk a little about Jonesy's jukebox and how it got started and some of his favorite guests, but we're also going to get into his time with the Sex Pistols and about the band he had with Duff McKagan in the mid-90s called The Neurotic Outsiders. Steve's got stories about meeting Kurt Cobain and about being such a huge David Bowie fan as a kid that he actually stole some of Bowie's gear from his final shows in London with the Spiders from Mars. It's a great story. He talks about how much he loves Bowie's guitar player, Mick Ronson. Lots of good stuff. And speaking of stories, speaking of good stuff, my fourth book, No is a Four-Letter Word, is filled with them. It's available for pre-order now at my Amazon store, amazon.com slash shop slash I am Jericho. The book is out August 29th, this Tuesday, but you can pre-order it now so that it'll be sent to you as soon as it's released. It's a motivational book. It's a self-help book. It's going to help all... All of you talk as Jericho Sexy Beast fans achieve all your dreams by giving you 20 principles describing how I uh, achieved the goals that I wanted to achieve and made my dreams come true. I'm doing a quick book signing tour. It's uh, throughout, let's see, how many states? One, two, three, four states. And uh, it's two countries, four states, and one province. So August 29th in New York City at the Barnes & Noble on Warren Street. Uh, that, these are all at, that's at 5 p.m. Then I got uh, August 30th in Ridgewood, New Jersey at Bookends. That's at 6 p.m. Then August 31st in Tampa, Florida, Barnes & Noble, uh, Northdale, Mabry. Then we got Orlando on September 1st at the Barnes & Noble East Colonial Drive. Both of those are at 7 p.m. Then Los Angeles. 
Angeles on September 6th uh, at the Barnes & Noble at the Grove. That's at 7 p.m. Then we head up to Canada on September 18th. Oshawa, Ontario at the Indigo and King Street West. That is also at 7 p.m. And now is the time. I'm going to do this. I did it before when uh, the last book came out, The Best in the World at What? I have no idea. I'm going to read you an excerpt from No is a Four-Letter Word, How I Failed Spelling but Succeeded in Life uh, with a foreword from Paul Stanley. Had to say that. And this is from a chapter called The Ted Irvin Principle, which is called, uh, you have to sell yourself. You always have to sell yourself. And so I'm going to, you were joining this when I'm having a meeting with Vince trying to figure out what type of a, of a, of a gimmick match I'm going to have with Dean Ambrose at the Extreme Rules pay-per-view. So uh, here we go. This is from No is a Four-Letter Word, and the chapter is called The Ted Irvin Principle, Sell Yourself. When Ambrose and head writer Dave Kapoor and I were trying to figure out what kind of gimmick match we could have as the blow-off to the feud at the Extreme Rules pay-per-view, we didn't really have much. A straight jacket match seemed lame, a paddy whacking match would be boring, and cage matches and ladder matches seemed too played out. We were planning on, on a self-explanatory Extreme Rules match, but that was given to AJ Styles and Roman Reigns instead, so we were left holding the bag. We put our heads together and came up with the idea of the first-ever Asylum match. Match, a cage match with various weaponry hanging off the sides. We loved the idea of involving the variety of plunder that we could use to whack each other uh, at any time. I knew that Vince was a sucker for the first ever tagline, and with that in mind, I began my spiel. When I mentioned that the cage would have multiple weapons involved, Vince mumbled, I should have known a normal cage match wouldn't be good enough for you two. I ignored his comment and kept right on pitching. I went through the basic rules and the design, painting the cage black was Ambrose's idea, and then hit him with my my closing line that it would be the first ever asylum match. Vince smiled knowingly and approved it on the spot. Uh, we shook hands and I poured myself a coffee because as Alec Baldwin says, coffee is for closers only, right? We discussed our thoughts on what kind of weapons would be used. I wanted a chainsaw that Dean would cut the top rope in half with and choke me, but Vince declined. Then I brought up the possibility of thumbtacks. Vince laughed and said, that's not going to happen. I didn't figure he'd go for it, but I knew Dean wanted to try to get them approved because he had planned to use them in his street fight against Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 32 a few months earlier. However, Brock wasn't too keen on the concept and the idea was quickly dropped. I, on the other hand, had no issue with using the tax since the plan was for me to beat Dean at the pay-per-view and then challenge Roman Reigns for the title. Therefore, the tax, if the tax were allowed, Ambrose was the one who would have to do the hibbity-dibbity and the nut-meat. Over the next few weeks, the angle unfolded exactly as we had pitched, leading to some unforgettable moments. The destruction of my jacket was awesome, and instead of just wearing one of my other three light-up jackets to the ring, I switched over to the scarf. We were gearing up for the monumental asylum blow-off match when I got a text from Ambrose telling me that Vince had approved the tax. I was totally surprised, but also excited because I knew it would lead to an unforgettable image when Dean took that tack bump. But a funny thing happened on the way to the asylum. Vince changed his mind, what a surprise, and decided to make the returning Seth Rollins the new challenger to Roman Reigns' WWE Championship instead of me. As a result, the change was made for Ambrose to win the asylum match, which made sense since it was his creation, but that meant that if anyone was going to take the tack bump, it had to be me. But why would I, an established veteran with seemingly nothing left to prove, take that diabolical bump? Well, constant reader, pull up a chair under the learning tree, that's the Rhodes trademark, and let me explain to you a little something-something about wrestling psychology. 
Vince hadn't allowed a thumbtack bump in over a decade, which meant the majority of our fans had never seen such a barbaric spectacle before. And let's be honest, the whole concept of falling onto a bed of sharp objects that pierce your skin and leave you bleeding like a human pincushion is pretty effing barbaric. Like feeding Christians to the lions type stuff. Therefore, the concept of the tack bump had to be protected and sold like it was the absolute worst, most painful thing that could ever happen to a WWE superstar, and I'll tell you why. No matter how much of a wrestling fan you are, you'll never really know how it feels to take a body slam or a suplex. You can guess how much pain you would be in, but you'll never truly know for sure. Therefore, when you see your heroes take this type of punishment on TV, it's never going to resonate with you in a realistic way. However, everybody knows what it feels like to get stuck by a sharp object, whether it's a shot at the doctors or a bee sting, and as we all know, it really hurts. No matter your age, rank, or serial number, everyone's reaction to the prick of the needle is the same. I don't want to get that shot because it's going to hurt when that needle goes into my skin. In the case of the tack bump, if you take the pain of a sole doctor's needle and multiply it by 50, I guarantee there isn't one normal human being on the planet who would willingly allow themselves to be put in that situation. However, wrestlers aren't normal human beings, and I'm not a normal pro wrestler. All that the critics and fans said after the match was Jericho has nothing to prove and at 45 years old did not need to take that bump. Well, guess what? They were wrong because I did need to take that bump because it was what was best for the match. If Ambrose took the bump and then went on to beat me, the whole point, pun intended, of using the tax would have been wasted. It would insinuate to the fans that the tax really didn't hurt and that it was just another stunt show in a show filled with dozens of them. Uh Uh-uh, not on my watch. Much like a musician who plays what fits best for the song rather than showing off, think Phil Rudd and ACDC, I knew that I would have to take the damn bump in the tax and get pinned directly after, not because I wanted to, but because it made the most sense for the story of the match. I made up my mind I was going to do it, and that was that. Plus, in the Grand Jericho tradition of always selling myself, I knew that because the bump hadn't been done in so long, it would be one of the most memorable parts of the show and be talked about for years after. That, in turn, would up my profile, my fan base, and my status. See, selling yourself isn't always as simple as just picking up the phone. Sometimes you got to get slammed into some thumbtacks to get what you want, yo. The asylum match was kind of plodding, but when Ambrose grabbed a velvet bag out of the bucket hanging from the top of the cage and poured the contents into the middle of the ring, the sold-out crowd in Newark, New Jersey gave a 15,000-person collective gasp, which was exactly what we were hoping for. We teased the bump a few times over the next few minutes. Then I tried for a code breaker. He caught me in midair, turned to his right, and powerbombed me right into the hundreds of shiny silver tumtacks. When I landed, I thought of Leonardo DiCaprio and Titanic talking about jumping into water that was so cold, it hits you like a thousand knives, stabbing you all over your body. You can't breathe. You can't think about anything but the pain. That pretty much nails, or should I say tax, how I felt. I couldn't breathe with all the pain shooting through my body. It wasn't a deep agony that would be long-lasting, but more of a steady throbbing that felt like a dozen bees stinging me simultaneously. I shuffled and rolled around until I was able to get into my knees, all the while screaming uncontrollably to sell the severity of the bump and then turned into Ambrose's Dirty Deeds DDT finish. As I took the move, I put my hands up to protect my face, and while I succeeded in not having any of the tacks stick into my mug, three of the little bastards poked through the palm of my hand. Let me tell you, that led to some really serious pain. 
The crowd popped huge when Dean pinned me for the win, and he left the ring the triumphant hero who proved he was indeed the lunatic fringe he claimed to be. After all, he had barbarically brutalized, what a great thrash metal album title, his hated rival in a way nobody else had in over a decade. Meanwhile, I was left alone in the ring with 68 tacks sticking out of my bleeding body with the three most painful ones jammed into my hand. That trio of pushpins was giving me so much agony that I decided to make sure the world knew they were there. I looked towards the camera, whippering pathetically in torment, and held my wounded hand next to my face with the palm towards the lens, giving the world a close-up of my anguish. And why did I go out of my way to get that shot on camera? Because, say it with me now, kids, I was selling myself. Here's the epilogue. After having a total of 68 tacks removed from my back, shoulders, and elbows by the WWE doctors and trainers, every one of them caught on camera, of course, I went to the dress room to take off my boots. I sat down but recoiled instantly when my ass hit the bench as another flash of torture sliced through my lower body like a Lilliputian spear. I stood up gingerly and pulled down my pants, twisting my neck to try and see my own rear end, which isn't easy, let me tell you, and there it was, the parting gift of the asylum. One last thumbtack sticking out of my left ass change that number to 69 the tax of jericho stick them in man all right well i hope you enjoyed the little excerpt there from noah's a four-letter word available august 29th uh so go pre-order it now at amazon.com slash shop slash i am jericho and go check out those uh those uh, book signings all right hall of famer steve jones of the sex pistols is on his way but first let's satisfy your hunger with this amazing pizza deal from one of my favorite pizza places little caesar's Right now, you can get the Little Caesars Extra Most Bestest Pizza for just six bucks. It's the most cheese and the most pepperoni at the nation's best price. Six bucks plus tax at participating locations. Little Caesars always has your back. Delicioso pizza that won't break your bank. And the Extra Most Bestest Pizza is hot and ready all day, every day. And Little Caesars' claim of the most cheese and most pepperoni at the nation's best price is based on comparing the following pizzas from the top four national pizza chains, Little Caesars put their extra most bestest pizza up against the other three chains' large, round, standard menu, one-topping pepperoni pizza, sold at everyday menu prices, and guess what? Little Caesars came up as the best. But you can judge for yourself. Don't listen to my yakking. Go pick up a Little Caesars extra most bestest pizza at participating location for just six bucks plus tax and enjoy the cheesiest, most pepperoni pizza your six bucks can buy. Go to Little Caesars now the extra most bestest pizza for six bucks plus tax is available at participating little caesar's locations hey everyone it's former wwe host lillian garcia let me ask you a question do you ever wonder how your favorite stars make it to the big time then come check out my new show chasing glory with lillian garcia on podcast1.com hear me chat with some of your favorite athletes and entertainers about their rise to the top it's about to get real raw Inspiring. So join me for new episodes every Monday on podcast1.com, the new Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. This, this is Talk is Jericho. All right, so I'm here with uh, with Steve Jones, and we just called our mutual friend Duff McKagan. <laughs> he told us some uh, typically bad jokes, as usual. Yeah. You know, it's his vibe. It's what he does. And you actually used to play uh, play in a band with him at one point. We had a we had a band in in around '96 called the Neurotic Outsiders, 
that was formed basically at the Viper Room in, in L.A. We did, it, was, it was put together for a benefit. That's how it first started. Some guy had cancer. And I think Matt had the idea to do a show, help him out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the four ended up being the four of us was John Taylor from Duran Duran, Duff, Matt and me. So was Duff on guitar as well? Duff, Duff, Duff played guitar in that band. Yeah, he didn't play bass. And sang. Yeah. So how was it for you, first of all, to be in a two-guitar band? I love it. Mm-hmm. I love two guitars because, you, 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 you know, you can, when you play a solo, the arse don't fall out of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it's always, it's, oh, don't get me wrong, I love bands that are, f- are three-piece, like Free mm-hmm. and uh, Queen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of bands who, who, are, who are great as a, as, a, as a... Van Halen. Yeah. Who don't need the rhythm guitar element. Exactly, right. exactly. So I'm, I'm totally into it, but for me... It, it, you know, it was a it was a bit of a relief to have not have to just keep going jun, 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 all the time. Mm-hmm. You could like loosen up a little bit. How was it to play with a guy like John Taylor, who's a very funky type of bass player? Well, a lot of people couldn't get their head around it because he was from Duran Duran, you know, <laughs> not the rock world. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, man, John Taylor can play the bass with with best of them when he's just pumping. He mm-hmm. plays with his fingers, too, mm-hmm. so you get that nice, big, warm sound. I, I like a warm bass sound as opposed to a clangy. Hmm. And, and, he, and he, can, he can pump it pretty good. He, he's uh, he's good as any, any other rock bass it, player. It is interesting. Like I, I play bass guitar, not so much now, but especially when I was growing up, and my heroes were Steve Harris from Iron Maiden and Cliff Burton from Metallica, who were finger players. Yeah. So I would play with fingers as well. Yeah. Not half as good, obviously, but there is a difference between that pick playing and a finger playing. With the tone, yeah. With the tone. Yeah. That's right, you know? For sure. When you were doing the pistols, like you said, which very much is more of like... Yeah, yeah. As far as as far as bass, well, yeah, I mean, because I played the bass on on the album, on the albums, okay. Yeah. So did you use a pick or fingers? Um, I think I used a pick because <laughs> I'm not a natural bass player, you know. But yeah. I, I, um, I mean, I think I might have done it a couple of times. I can't play it. I'm sure there was a lot of stop and start in punching in. Okay, mm-hmm. now I've got my energy back. Let's get the next verse. With the fingers, course. yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, original bass player. Uh, Glenn Matlock mm-hmm. played played with his fingers. Oh, did he? Yeah, Glenn's yeah. been on this show actually. Has he? Yeah, about two years ago. Yeah. So, so what? You travel around and whatever city you're in, you kind of basically, yeah, yeah. Like that's we're, you do we're it? either with wrestling or with music. When I'm touring around, I'll see who's in town. Obviously, for LA, which is where we are right now, yeah. I'll come out once a month and do a block of shows. Yeah. But if I'm in England, I knew a guy that had had Glenn on. Spoke to him on the phone. I met him at some little some little uh, coffee house near where he lives, yeah. outside of London somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Made of ale? That's it. Yeah, that's It was like a little country town. Yeah. He showed up with a suit jacket on, and he looked yeah. like, a, like a real, like a good-looking, you know, you know, like a gentleman. Older gentleman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. That's, that's the way I do it. So wherever I'm around, I'll find out who's in town, and yeah. if I can get them or somebody that I know, I'll just bring my little pillowcase of stuff and set up. Oh, cool. You know? And you know, you know how, how, how much fun it is, too, because I know now with, with Jonesy's Jukebox, which you've been doing for a dozen years, maybe? Well, I, I did it for, for five years when it was on another station, mm. uh, in, when it was on Indie 1031. That was from like 2003, I believe, to 2008. And then I didn't do anything for a little while. Then I went to K-Rock 
for a couple of years, just on a Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And that lasted a couple, you know, two years. And then that ended. And now I've been doing this at KLOS for about uh, a year and a half now. Now, what was the concept of Jonesy's Jukebox when you started it? Or what is it now? The concept was just an accident. When when I first started it, it was a weirdest thing, man. I, I wasn't doing anything. I was producing a couple of bands. I produced that band, Buck Cherry. Oh, did you? Their first album. Okay. Played the guitar on it, too. But the guitarist don't want anyone to hear that. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> he is now. Um, and I was kind of like, you know, it was like, oh man, the music business was still going a bit at that point. But it was just, oh, oh, and I produced this other band, and I'm like a babysitter. I, I, I don't mind producing bands who know what they're doing, mm-hmm. but bands like that who've never done records, it was like babysitting. I'm like, oh man, I got to do something else. I don't like doing this. <laughs> and then. I don't know how it happened. I was driving around and I was flicking the channels in this chan- channel 1031. Someone said, oh, you should listen to it. They play a lot of punk stuff and stuff. And I did. And they didn't have any commercials. It was just punk stuff you never hear on the radio. And it was exciting. I wanted to be involved in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why. But then I got a call a couple of weeks later from a guy who was one of the guys at Maverick, who was the radio guy for the New York Outsiders. He said, hey, Jonesy, have you heard this channel? Uh, they want to do something with you. I'm like, you're kidding me. I said, I want to be a DJ. <laughs> and it kind of just happened. I don't know what they want. Maybe they wanted me to just do a, an idea or something, mm-hmm. you know. And they said, okay. So we tried it out four days a week, one hour a day. And I didn't have a clue, man, a clue what I was doing. It was live. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I played punk songs, but for some reason it was refreshing because you know what radio's like. It's kind of a drag, you know, these days. It's just like. It's very regimented. People oh, play man. these songs. Yeah. yeah. And the guy with the upbeat voice over the top all the time. <laughs> so here. Here we are, Banana 93.3. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now there's this blithering idiot who's kind of silent and is like farting and burping. <laughs> but people start catching on to it. They, mm. they, and it. And it just kind of took off, and then it moved to five days a week, two hours, two hours a day, and uh, you know it was a good, that was a good run. And then the, you know, the shit at the fan, um, in two thousand eight, and you know it, the, the collapse, and I guess a lot of people weren't paying out sponsorship money. Mm-hmm. Everyone was panicking and holding on all their money, and and the station was kind of a small station, Indie One Hundred Three One. Even though it was cool and all the cool people listened to it, so it suffered and, it, and, and the station closed down. Yeah. You know, but that's how it started. And now I'm kind of kind of used to it. Do you it, still play whatever you want to play? Yeah, it's very yeah. different. I, I'm not one of them jocks who, who shout at you. And uh, I kind of talk about random, random, what, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I like having interest in people in uh, interview. I interview a lot of people. And... Uh, it seems to work, you know, people like it. I'm getting a star on Hollywood Boulevard. All right. Yeah. Just just you or the no, whole pistols? No, just me. Congratulations. Just little on me. All right, so let's talk about I know about someone this. who's going to be saving. <laughs> Your former singer, perchance? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but that's the thing about this, though. A punk kid from, from, from London, yeah. 1977, makes one of the most rudest you know revolutionary records just based around pissing people off and now here you are getting a star on hollywood boulevard that's like you know keith richards becoming a knight yeah hasn't mick jagger becoming a knight i think he could have been a knight uh uh richards i I think 
it, he turned it he down. He turned it down. He turned something down. I know that. It's a very key thing to do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not going to say no to something like that. It's pretty cool. You know, I've been in LA 35 years. I've been here. I'm a local. And the fact that I'm getting it on my own back, not from anyone else, mm-hmm. from the pistols or anything else, I'm, I'm, I would love, I can't wait to get that. Because that's the exact opposite for what you guys do when you got put in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll tell me the story behind that. What was well, the that, that, was, that, that was mainly John. Okay. And it, rightly so. He was pissed off because they charge... You, you can come in free, yeah. but if you're going to bring anyone else, it's 10 grand. To sit at the table. Yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. And, ridiculous. Ridiculous, man. And, and John just wrote him a, a nasty letter. And it was, uh, so, so we didn't end up going. Was it something that you were behind as well? Or you just kind of um, Because I know Glenn was saying he had no idea. He just heard about it after. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I knew about it. And um, I was in two minds. But when John did that, I'm like, yes, that's, I think that's the correct thing to do. It's a very Sex Pistols thing to do. You're still in there. We're still in there. We just didn't show up for the, uh, right. whatever it is. Yeah, for the, the ceremony. ceremony. Yeah. It's funny because uh, sometimes I wrestled for years, and someone's like, "Oh, when when you go on the Rock Hall of Fame, I'm like, I'm going to pull a Sex Pistols and just not show up, or pull an Axel and just forbid them to even say my name." Yeah, forbid. <laughs> he actually did that, right? He for did the, for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He didn't show up, and he, I think Chris Rock maybe or someone read the letter that said, you, "You're not allowed to say my name tonight." He took it one step further. One step further than, than he, Johnny Run. He beat you guys at your own game. That, that was good. That's good. <laughs> All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas. See? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Talk is Jericho. When you're talking about um, being a DJ and being able to play whatever you want, like in the 70s, for example, like DJs made a difference. It's similar right? to what the 70s, what, mm. what I'm doing is pretty much similar. You know, they had the power to even break a band. I know with like Rush, there was a guy in Cleveland who played Working Man right. incessantly, which finally got them to get some airplay yeah. elsewhere. Do, no. you, do you still have, like, if you decide to play something, can you make a difference? Um, I've definitely, when I was on India, I used to play a lot of new bands and they 
some of them kind of took off and it put them on the map a little bit. And I'm, I'm doing it here with new bands too. Mm. I like to do that and I'm allowed to, to, to not just play classic rock but to play new stuff. It's good. It's good. It's good. I like to play new stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's important. Sure it is. To me, you know, because it's a, especially rock and roll, it seems like it's a dying thing mm. these days, you know. Especially on radio. Yeah. You know, right now our band has a single in the charts doing really well, but the we're talking about, hey, we just got picked up in Biloxi and we got picked up in Janesville, Wisconsin. There is no Los Angeles rock radio station. Right. There's no New York City. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Like, there's no rock station in LA, not for active rock. Yeah. You know, you need the, anywhere anywhere you can get the help. Yeah. Whoever will play. Yeah, it. yeah. I know, man. I know. You know. So just gotta keep plugging away. It's just it's just a sign of the times. It's just it's just where it all is at this at this point in time mm-hmm. with you know young kids i mean it's all hip hop and whatever hip-hop young and country basically that's your new rock and roll for the kids yeah and the country's not good country to mm-hmm. me it's that monogenous homogenous what do you call it you know it's just charmed out with the voice tuning mm-hmm. and it's just it's not country that's not country to me what's country to you Old school, George Jones, Waylon Jennings. Yeah. You know, where it's like real, real. Glenn Campbell just passed away. Yeah. Yesterday, yeah. 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 That was a. Type of guys. Just real music, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I'm not meant to like what young kids are doing because I'm 61. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be liking what young kids like. And that, so they're doing their job. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't wear my jeans around hanging off the back of my ass. I look ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And and every generation has that. Whatever it is, if I moan about it, they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to like it, you know. So whatever kids are getting up to these days, whether they're playing it on their computer or whatever, that that's, that's their world. And um, I can't knock it. You know, that's a great point because you were that guy. If you think about yeah. Sex Pistols in 76, 77, yeah. you were the band that all the establishment hated. Yeah. You know, in such a quick period of time, too. Yeah, it was real short, real you know, short. A year and a half, maybe, or yeah. whatever it was. Because this year is the 40 year anniversary of, 40 of, of, years, of yeah. Bollocks. Do you think about stuff like that? Not really. Yeah. You know, kind of over it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Don't get me wrong, it was a great thing, and it was a little moment in time where we made a difference and I don't think a lot of bands get to to do that with one album mm-hmm. and uh it, it it was a it was great at the time are you surprised though out of all the bands from that time that the people just gravitated to the Sex Pistols as being the the punk band of that of that time frame well in England we was the first mm-hmm. you know when we were playing we one 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 night we at this place called the Nashville we opened up for a band called the 101ers, which the singer was Joe Strummer. Mm, okay. So he saw us, and he's like, I'm done with this. He was doing like rockabilly kind of <laughs> right, stuff. Right, right. He's like, I'm done. So from that day on, he decided to cut his hair and wear shirts all ripped up. He got together with Mick Jones, who used to come down and watch us rehearse when he had long hair, <laughs> and he used to wear platform boots, <laughs> and he thought he was Johnny, Johnny Funders from the New York Dolls. Sure. After he see us. So they, 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 they came after us, you know, and, you know, they were a great band. The Damned and um, 
Who else at the time? It was it was us, the Damned, the Clashed, Buzzcocks, mm-hmm. Generation X, Stranglers. That was they they were the ones who kind of was there before the second wind came in. You know, of course you had the Ramones um, in America, but we really didn't weren't that wasn't who we we kind of did our thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the Ramones. Don't get me wrong, but. We, we we did our thing, and plus it was a different vibe. There was all these stuff going on in in the, in the country, like politically strikes, and everyone was pissed off. And so I think that's what made it different than what was going on in, mm-hmm. in the USA at the time. Well, let me ask you this: so If you're talking about that, a, a very fast sound, like let's say that's just. Say Metallica was influenced by Motorhead, and Motorhead was influenced by the Sex Pistols. What? Who influenced you to kind of create that style of music? Was it a glam thing? It was glam. This was my four or five bands when I was growing up as a kid. It was the uh, the Faces, Rod Stewart and mm-hmm. the Faces, Roxy Music, mm-hmm. David Bowie when he was in the Spiders from Mars, mm-hmm. Mott the Hoople, glam band, T Rex. Mm-hmm. And that and that was the kind of bands that I thought we were doing when we started the Sex Pistols. If you noticed, the tempos ain't that fast right. on Sex yes. Pistols stuff. It's not. Da, 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 da. Yeah. It's very rock, kind of classic rock beat. Mm-hmm. You know, not too fast. So that's you know, and then of course we got John, who was a different style of singing, and I couldn't play that good at the time. Mm-hmm. I'd only been playing guitar three months before we did our first show. Unbelievable. So that's why it got that kind of lack of uh, technical ability, I think. Give it rawness. Give, yeah, yeah. Gave us the sound that we had, for sure. It's interesting because you think of what you mentioned about the tempos, and, and people always say that about Motorhead, too. Oh, Motorhead, so the Motorhead is not a fast plane. They have faster songs. Yeah. But mostly it's just, it's just rock and roll, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Lemmy's obsession with 50s music with some heavy guitars. That's it. But the tempos are not fast. No. You know? Have you interviewed Lemmy? Did I you... love Lemmy, man. It's funny because reading through your book, we were actually both at his 70th birthday party at the Whiskey. Oh, yeah. We, we, I played that night with Slash and, and the guys who did a song. But um, what, a great, what a great guy. Really, the last few years of his life, I got pretty tight with him. So did you interview him for your podcast? I did. I did. And the funny thing was is that um, some people were saying beforehand, well, Lemmy's he's a pretty quiet interview. He doesn't really talk much. I'm like... That's not the guy that I know. And when I walked in, he was on his computer looking at bass guitars. So he was looking at a 67 Rickenbacker, which is Paul McCartney. Yeah. So I asked him about that. Talked about basses for 15 minutes. We're off and running. You know, good, good, good. Uh, it was a good conversation. Yeah. No, he's, uh, I love the fact that he likes 50s music. Yeah. You know, he's from that school, Eddie Cochran. Chuck Berry. Yeah. And you that's, know. that's, I, lo- I love that too. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of music. I never get bored of it. But he was actually on the, I think he was, a, you know, a teenager maybe. Yeah. He went that, and saw the Beatles at the Cavern Club when he was like 12. Yeah. So that age. Yeah. He had a great rock and roll spirit. Did you me. get a chance to have him on your show or hang out with him at the I times? had him on the show. Yeah. A couple of times. He wouldn't stop smoking in the studio <laughs> and he had his Jack and Coke. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he had to keep beeping him every now and again. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But he was great. He, uh, he asked me if I wanted a cigarette, and I was like, I hadn't smoked a cigarette in about 20 years. But yeah. when you're at Lemmy's house, and he asked if you want a cigarette, I'll have one. And then he said, he asked me if I wanted a vodka. And I said, I thought you were supposed to stop drinking. He said, well, I stopped drinking whiskey and switched to vodka. Yeah. And like Alice Cooper said, like, 
your liver knows the difference. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Like, no, it's a shame because he could he could have still been here if he would have done something about it. I wonder if you it. think if you know guys like this because I, I remember one time I asked him about that. And he said, you know, if I can't smoke cigarettes and if I can't have a drink, I'm not I'm not a health food type guy. You know, I don't think he really wanted to be around if he couldn't live his life the way he wanted it to. Yeah. You know, I mean. I can understand that, but if I was in this position, I would probably want to stick around a little bit longer too, right? Yeah, well, I've, I've been in the, I've been in that, you know, it's in my in my book. I talk about, you know, I've been sober twenty six years Which now. Pretty crazy back. In I the was day. doing heroin, you know, mm-hmm. for six seven years, you know, obviously on a daily basis and stealing to get money to get dope. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. I was a complete mess, and uh, something happened where. Um, I guess I just burnt out and I'm like, I, I don't want to keep doing this. See, the difference between me is I didn't have any money. I think Lemmy had a lot of bread. So he could he, he could actually just keep going. Could afford it, yeah. Yeah, I, I had no bread. That was the initial introduction I got to a 12-step program. Mm-hmm. But um, but then then I liked, I liked being alive. <laughs> I, I, I turned it around, you know, where I wanted to keep going. I didn't want to just drive it. Mm-hmm into the ground and die you know so there was a little spark somewhere in there how was that for you and did you even realize it at the time we just mentioned earlier about the sex pistols was a year and a half one album super shot to the top and then gone right after that And you mentioned you had no money was it hard to like kind of go back to the real world and what did you do at that point in time well we never made any money initially mm-hmm. the manager made sure of that of course you know, so it wasn't a financial thing with me because we never had any bread. I never had a driving license. I never had a <laughs> bank account, a checkbook, nothing. I didn't have anything. <laughs> and uh, then it all ended. Then uh, me and Cookie decided to form a band called The Professionals. But that when the band ended, that's when I started getting into into dope. Because mm-hmm. you, you know. were just a kid too, right? 22 yeah. years old? Yeah, when we started, yeah. Right. Yeah, slung in the deep end. Mm-hmm. The, the the Bill Grundy, uh, when we swore on TV. Mm-hmm. So be, prior uh, prior to the Bill Grundy show, we would we were getting popular in the rock world. But the, the the day we did this talk show, the Bill Grundy show that was everyone watches in England, that then it went into this other world of of media and uh, tabloid. And the music just got pushed to one side. Tell, tell us for people who don't know what happened on the Bill Grundy show. The Bill Grundy show was this guy. It was a, it was a, called the, the Today Show. And it was hosted by this guy, Bill Grundy. And it was just at 6 o'clock where everyone's at home eating their, you know, sausages. <laughs> and um, this guy has various guests on, you know. And Queen was meant to be doing it. And we, we just got signed to EMI. So we were on the same label. And they said, well, get, get the Sex Pistols on. They're going, they're going to be doing this tour. And they're in the UK tour with us, The Clash, The Damned, Johnny Funders, and The Heartbreakers. It's a hell of a bill. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So we were rehearsing somewhere, and a limo comes. said, come on, you're going down on the Today Show now. And so we all piled into the limo, got down there. They stick us in the green room. I immediately went to the fridge and drunk up a couple of bottles of Blue Nun. Because I was nervous, you know. That's wine for a couple of bottles of wine, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was ready, you know. And we went out there, and this guy obviously didn't give two hoots about us, and he just tried to kind of belittle us, you know. He just thought we were like these young punks. Uh, it was that classic thing I'm talking about, where the old man 
just thinks this is crap. Didn't understand. Didn't understand it. And uh, he, Susie from Susie and the Banshees was a fan. This is before she had her band. She, we brought a couple of fans on with us who sat behind us. It's all, it's all on uh, YouTube. You can watch mm-hmm. it. Bill Grundy show Sex Pistols. It's it's, it's worth. Amazing, yeah. I mean, it's nothing compared to things now. But at the time, when there was only two channels to watch, it was a big deal. No one's ever swore on TV. So he said something sarcastic to Susie, like something sexual. Oh, we meet after the show, didn't you? Mm. So I just fire into him and, and I called him a bunch of swear words, you know. And it went out live for mm. some reason. <laughs> And and the next day it was like another it was it was all different. Hmm. We were household names. We were the bad guys of rock and roll. And wherever we went, the daily papers were just following us till we broke up. Hmm. You know, and it it was great for publicity, but I think it was the beginning of the end mm-hmm. because it was too much for us too soon. Mm-hmm. We didn't write. We wrote a couple of bullshit songs. After that, we didn't. You know, we got rid of Glenn Matlock, who was in on the Bill Grundy show, and we got Sid in. And it was just, it was just meant to be. It was just one of them things. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could avoid it. I left. We, we we did a little tour. We ended in San Francisco, and I just said, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm out of here. I can't. It's too much. Well, like you said, too, the music got pushed aside about yeah. the bad boys. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's similar to where the Beatles stopped touring, where it was more about the spectacle and the chicks screaming, and no one's paying any attention to the band whatsoever. Yeah, and it's it's no fun. It's like, why are you doing this? Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit sling.com to see your offer. Sling. This this is Talk is Jericho. When did you start uh, realizing the influence that the Sex Pistols had on other musicians? Uh, um, didn't, oh, I'm sure at the time it was going on, but I was too out there to... to comprehend what was going on and who we influenced. I noticed later, when I came to LA around uh, 73, I moved to LA. I, I, I drifted out here. Before the Pistols or after? Uh, after A- the Pistols. 83. You said 73. Yeah, yeah you're 83. right. Yeah, right. yeah, you're right. You Sorry. lost a decade. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I sure did lose a decade. <laughs> More than that. <laughs> right. And uh, I grew my hair long and uh, I sobered up and I started playing, and uh, I'd run into Axel outside the uh, the <laughs> Rainbow. Mm-hmm. I'd, be, I'd be there on my Harley. I was all buff at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had long hair. You didn't have to wear a helmet. Did people it, even know who you were? Well, I was on MTV a little bit. Oh. But not not crazy. Not crazy, no. Like hosting on MTV, or did you have another song? Or? No, I did a bit of that headbanger ball. Okay, gotcha. I did a few of them. Not a lot. I, mm. I mean, a lot. I had a solo album out. But man, it was like shooting ducks in a bucket. I wouldn't even go in the rainbow. I'd just have a chick on the back of the bike four <laughs> times a night, just getting sucked off. 
Rock and roll, man. Man, I made up for lost time. When I was doing dope and you don't do any pussy, yeah. I made up for lost time. See, being sober has its advantages. Yeah, well, it did for me. <laughs> it did for me. So you ran into Axel in front of the rainbow? Yeah, he, he was, uh, this was before he was, uh, before he was, uh, you know, they were just, they were going. They hadn't quite broken yet. People knew who he was, but he, he showed up and he had a big long leather coat on and looked like, you know, could have been in an Nazi party. <laughs> I mean, he come up to me, man, and he was like, oh, man, I love your band, blah, 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 blah. I mean, he really paid homage to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Duff is a, is a punk fan. He is. Too. He's a punk guy. He's a punk yeah, guy. He is. They're not all punk guys in Guns N' Roses. He's, he's, the, he's the most... But once again, another reason why Guns N' Roses had a little bit of that vibe, because Duff was in the mix as a punk rocker. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And... Um, uh, and Axel actually on my second solo album, he sings a Sex Pistols song on it. Mm, okay. Him and Ian Ashbury, a song called "Did You Know Wrong." Mm-hmm. And I run into other bands. Nikki Six, they did a version of a Pistol song. Megadeth. Yeah. Um, even um, Anthrax. Anthrax. Yeah. God Save the Queen. I think. Yeah. yeah. So there was definitely uh, and Megadeth. Yeah, Megadeth did. I think Megadeth did Bodies too. They had a couple of them. That's right. They did Bodies and Anarchy. That's right. Yeah. So I, then I noticed that, okay, well, I guess there's you know, some influence there, which is weird from these kind of rock metal guys, mm-hmm. you know. But I appreciated it. So I, I guess we made some impact. There was a period, though, after we broke up, when it turned into, like, new romantic music in England. You got your Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. Spandau Ballet, all them other bands. At that period, we couldn't get arrested. Hmm. No one gave two shits about us. Early 80s. Yeah. 85, 86, yeah. yeah. There was a period where it it was just out of fashion (laughs) and no one wanted to know. Mm -hmm. But then it kind of came back around that time when I moved out here, 84, 5, 6, and it seems like it's just here now. Was there a a lot of influence in in grunge bands like Nirvana, etc.? Were they... Punk six six was still kind of influenced. He as well. was, yeah, he was, and, and he blatantly said his two favorite bands was uh, the Beatles and the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. You know, and Great. I met I met him once, and he he was another one who was in awe. Hmm. I, I went and saw him in the hospital. He was in there for some stomach problem. Oh, and uh, I, I, I someone said, "Go and see this kid. He's got this band. He's in there." It was the doctor who was helping him, who knew me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he said, go and see this kid. And I did. And 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 thing, he was sitting on a chair and he was in bed with a beard. And I didn't really know. I swear to God, I didn't really know he was. Other than he was like picking my brain and he was all excited. Hmm. And then when I left and I realized, oh, that's the guy from the teen spirit <laughs> thing. You know, yeah. I really didn't know. It was weird. So yeah, he was, he was into it. Um, Oh, who's the other guy who's dead to uh from that s- Alice oh uh Lane Steele. Lane mm-hmm. he was a sweet guy we we used to talk a hell of a lot too but that's the thing like you said that you you don't realize it uh, at the time this monumental music that you're making or whatever reason it sticks but now with Jonesy's jukebox and you're interviewing so many guys who are some of your favorite guests that you've had uh on the show reoccurring etc um man and I I mean I have I have so many guests as as you do Lars, oh yeah, was was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. It was funny because he came on. I mean, I've met him before many times, 
But he came on. They were doing their, you know, they were promoing. They were yeah, doing, yeah, doing a press tour, yeah. yeah. And um, he came on. And I always, like, asked the stupidest questions. And we started talking about tea. <laughs> and then we started talk, talking about Earl Grey tea, yeah. which he likes. And we must have spent 20 minutes talking about Earl Grey tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he realizes, hang on, I'm in... Metallica. I can't be talking about El Grey T. It was the it was the funniest thing. And he's he knows his glam too. He loves glam. He he's a musicologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really does. So that that was a good one. Um, man, I've had so many uh, Foo Fighters. A girl's a big punk guy too. Yeah, fan of music. He actually, uh, when my book came out, they all came on on the show. Mm-hmm. The whole band. That that was great, and then he filled in for me when I when I when I couldn't make it one day. Him and Taylor. Oh, cool! And he did my accent <laughs> for the whole two hours. <laughs> oh, you can listen to all this. It's all on, uh, you know, podcasts yeah. on the KLOS website. Can't play the music. Do you play music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Do you have to pay? Do you have to pay someone for that? Oh, I'm sorry. On the pl- no, you can't. The only the only music I ever play is just ours because I don't have to pay. Yeah. You know, but you can't. Yeah, you can't. There's too many rights fees and all that. Too sort of much stuff. dough. Yeah. And people always go like, hey, you know, like, like Sebastian Bach. I've had him on my show three or four times. He was like, well, why can't you play any of my songs, dude? I'm like, same reason I couldn't play them last time, Baz. I, there's there's too many pirates, you know, royalties and you know red tape and all that sort of yeah. stuff. You know? it's a drag, really. It is. Let me ask you a question. Um, when you were talking earlier about your favorite bands, you mentioned. Uh, Bowie and the Spiders from Mars. Mick Ronson, one of the most underrated guitar players of all time. Oh man, he's he's my main man. Yeah, Mick Ronson is my main man. I've said it for years. I'm not doing it, saying it because it's cool to say that. But and I didn't ask you because I had heard. It just you mentioned Spiders, and I wanted. Yeah, to yeah. No, he was. Uh, I loved his guitar playing. Not too much, mm-hmm. but tasty. I love his rhythm playing because he had a wah wah that he would set at a certain spot he'd leave it open a little bit and that's where he'd play his rhythm on mm. you know and oh he, interesting and he was a genius too man he he, he was a he was a classically trained mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know that about him like on 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 um um lou reed's album uh yeah. transformer yeah i mean he arranged a lot of them songs he didn't get any credit he did he arranged a lot of the al- the two bowie albums too yeah spiders from mars and uh aladdin sane mm-hmm. he did all the arrangements for that but he didn't get the credit for no it, credit i mean i don't know if he wanted it or, or what you know he tried a solo career but he, he, he was a he was the perfect side man a guitarist to to someone who's a great frontman. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I see that from time to time. I don't know how much of a metal guy you are, but I'm just, I know you know the names. When David Lee Roth first went solo with Steve Vai on guitar, yeah, and then album or two later dumps him and brings somebody else in. The magic's gone. Yeah, Ronnie James Dio with Vivian Campbell yeah. dumps him. Bowie with with you know Bowie still continued, but he didn't have the same magic as he did with Mick Ronson. No. And why wouldn't he? Why would you just not take that partnership and, and run with it? I don't know. You know, I don't know why. I don't know why bands do that. But I, I mean, I get the fact that you know, like my band, when you, when it's over, yeah, you just walk and 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 rhyme or reason tells you don't do that yet because you do good stuff when you're together. But it, it mm-hmm. you know, it don't matter. It gives me more respect for guys like Mick and Keith. That never to go that long, yeah. yeah. And they might have taken time away, but they never broke up. Yeah, you know, Aerosmith even Joe Perry leaves for a yeah. while, but Mick and Keith never did that. Yeah, it's interesting. From they come, they come to an arrangement, you know. Yeah, 
Exactly. Have plus, you, plus, they made shitloads of money. Wow, that's so the that difference would keep too. it together. Sure, it does. Have you ever had any of those two guys on your show, or any relationship with the with the, the Stones? Stones? No, I would love to though. Yeah, I mean, they would have to know the, the the you know the the legend of you and the Sex Pistols for sure. sure. Well, there was a period where uh, when when Mick was wearing uh, some uh, punk clothes, yeah. he was wearing uh, the t shirt with a swastika on it that was. <laughs> So he, you know, he was very hip, Keith. He kept sure, yeah. In seventy-seven, seventy-eight, too. That was, you know, yeah, in the middle. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a great story in your book uh, where you talk about just to finish up on the Bowie topic, where uh, you were nicking a lot of different things, and you actually nicked some of Bowie's stage gear. Yeah, their their last show went before he announced that the Spiders from Mars is over. He announced that on stage, right? Yeah, they yeah. did two nights at Hammersmith Odeon which is now called uh, Hammersmith Apollo. Mm-hmm. And they'd been on the road for a while, and right, the band didn't know that he was going to say this. But after the first night, they left all the equipment up because they knew they were going to play the next night. And uh, I I knew that place, the like Hammersmith Odeon, like the back of my hand. I was like the phantom of the Hammersmith Odeon. <laughs> and I was a kleptomaniac right. too. So I got... Got a little minivan, parked it round the side when everyone had left, like at one one in the morning. They put some goon on the third third row, and he fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and I just snuck on the stage and started snipping microphones and took the bass head and the cymbals and Bowie's mic with lipstick on it. <laughs> I didn't touch any of of uh, mixed stuff. You didn't take any Ronson stuff? Huh? No. Um, but what was funny was. On my radio show last year, Woody Woodmansey, the drummer, he was doing a little tour with Tony Visconti. Okay. Where they were going city to city. They were doing that one Bowie album that Visconti played on, and Woody Woodman, it was an early one. It was. Uh, was Visconti also his producer towards the end, too? Yeah, well, he produced all, all the Bowies. Yeah, okay, gotcha. That, that, that stuff, yeah, yeah. and T Rex. He, he was a big, big producer back then. Anyway. So they were playing a place called the Wilton here, and I got them on, on the show. So we're talking away with Woody. I said, and on the air, I'm like, shall I say this on the air or off the air? I said, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to say it and let, see where the cards lay. I said, Woody, I owe you on men's. I stole some of your symbols from the last uh, at the Hammersmith Odeon. He goes, you did? I didn't know. I said, let me, uh, what can I do to make it right? He said, oh, it's okay. I said, let me give you some money. He said, oh, give me $100. And I gave him $300. And he was over the moon. Over the moon. Man, and, and that guy, is he a powerhouse still? Yeah, still? Unbelievable still? drummer. Unbelievable. Does he still have the giant sideburns? No. <laughs> he's tiny, tiny yeah. too. He, he's doing, you know, he's doing construction in England. Really? Poor guy. You know, it's interesting you talk about Tiny because because Bronson was Tiny too, and you could so see the influence uh, on uh, on Randy Rhodes of Mick Ronson. Yeah. Hair, same stature, yeah. same long guitar because that's they're cool. so small. But they they that, you look at Mick, go, that's Randy Rhodes. Yeah, he he looked exactly like him. Yeah, which is another reason why I'm so surprised that he didn't get more credit after being Randy Rose being such a disciple of, of Ronson yeah he, I just think Mick didn't put himself out there enough mm. you know he was just a quiet dude who just wanted to get on with it there's a great documentary that just came out in England about him 
I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it'll be out here soon. With us, very gives him for what he did have. Yeah. you know, which was good. Unfortunately, I, I actually went on the road with him. Really? On, on my second solo album, he was playing with Ian Hunter. Mm. It was Hunter Ronson, mm-hmm. and I did a bunch of shows. Open up for him, and I would get on their tour bus sometime and just hang out. That's with, cool. With uh, it's always cool when you get to meet your heroes and be, yeah. become friends. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he was a sweetheart. Let me ask you about this. Another thing I uh, reading in your book that I had no idea with is that you actually played with Dylan. Yeah, and played live with him in a band. He never played live. Okay, I got a phone call from him. He's like, "Hey, Steve." That was Bob Dylan. <laughs> That's good. He said, uh, <laughs> "He said I'm putting a, I'm, I'm doing this record. Can you put a band together and uh, come down to this?" So I, I got Paul Simonon was in town from the Clash, the bass player. I got him. I got uh, Gary Myrick, guitar player. Who was the drummer in uh, Pat Benatar band? Redhead guy. Myrick, yeah. Myron something or other. Yeah. Exactly. Got Good it. call on that. Good memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well done. He was around, and it was uh, and and me, and we went down to Cherokee Recording Studios. So why is he calling you? I have no idea. Just okay. No idea. <laughs> Dylan, whatever. But he does that. He just, you know, he gets, he's something he likes. And, and he, uh, I mean, we had the motorcycles. He was, you know, he was up riding bikes at the time. I don't remember how that goes. But whenever I would see him in a party, we'd come running over and give me a big hug. And I'm like, okay, chill, man. I'm just trying to chill. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was fantastic. Was he a Sex Pistols fan? I don't, I don't know. Maybe he liked the attitude of the, the Sex yeah, Pistols. Yeah, the rebelliousness I, of it. I, I don't know. But um, so we're all there. We're set up in this studio. He shows up with his acoustic and a bunch of papers. He puts them on the uh, piano and he, and he started going through the papers and goes, okay. And he would just start playing a, a tune, you know, just rough tune. And we kind of just all looking around. I'm like, okay. We kind of just joined in, you know. It was yeah. the, I've never recorded like this. It was the weirdest thing, and I didn't quite understand what was going on at the time. That he was seeing what we'd come up with, oh. and all we were doing was the minimal, just following him. So a lot of it didn't take. Mm. But I guess that one song did take. That's on this album, mm. Sally Sue Brown. You know, that's I mean, the name of the song, Sally. Yeah, Sue. I can't remember what album it's on. But it was a, you know, looking back on it, it was a buzz to ex- experience to do that and a- actually end up playing on one of his records. Interesting comment, like like you said, he wasn't, he was waiting for you guys to see what you. Could I didn't do. see that at the time. I oh. didn't see that at the time. It's is a great story that uh, I heard with Bruce Springsteen when uh, after Clarence Clemens died. Yeah, he brought in his nephew. I think his name is Jake Clemens, maybe to play saxophone. And at one point, they said, you know, Bruce wants you to do a solo. And the kid was kind of really scared and didn't do anything. Uh, and afterwards, it's like, why didn't you do a solo? He goes, I didn't know what to do. He said, listen, when the boss tells you to solo, you solo. And if not, you don't get no more solos. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, show us what you can do, kid. Yeah. Get out there and play. Are you a fan of Springsteen? Um, not diehard, but I went and saw him live a couple of years ago, and I got it. Like, I understood the, the brilliance of Springsteen. How long did he play for? 10 hours? Yeah, yeah, 72 hours. He played for three hours, and I knew three songs out of the 30 that he yeah. played. He's, he's got some diehard fans, though. He man. does. You know, he would just take signs out of the crowd, and show them to the drummer, 
and they'd go into it. Yeah. You know, and it was just watching him do that with a 17, 18 piece band. It was one of the best gigs I've ever seen, for sure. He definitely puts on a show every night. There's no, there's no like, there's no dialing it in. Uh, just, yeah. He, he really gives it everything. And doesn't stick to a set list, just plays whatever he feels like yeah. playing. You know yeah. what I mean? A few, few last things. Were you ever, a, 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 I can probably know the answer to this, were you ever a Beatles guy at all growing up? Um, I always said no because mm. I thought it was cool to say you didn't like yeah, the Beatles. Yeah, 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 of course. But now? And it was the Stones. I never played the Beatles mm. on my show. I always played the Stones. Mm. Always play old Stones, 70 Stones. That, that's, that's always, I always fall back on that. Mick when, Taylor Stones? Yeah. Best era. Goat's Head Soup. Best era. Fantastic yeah. album. Yeah, he's a real lead player. Yeah. I, I read an interview somewhere with... Uh, with Keith and now he was kind of saying basically saying you know when Mick Taylor plays he's like I hate that guy <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't play lead like him right. you know if he's not in your band you hate him <laughs> yeah but the Beatles I mean yeah they got they got obviously great songs but I'm never drawn to playing them hmm you know gotcha I just didn't know if you ever had any uh, any meetings with Ringo or Paul oh I know Ringo do you yeah pretty good yeah did he appreciate the... He ain't going to hear this, is he? <laughs> if he does, I'll be tracking him down. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paul McCartney, I spoke on the phone once on my old radio station. Okay, so that's still pretty cool. Yeah. Got him on. So these guys are calling you, They're obviously knowing the Sex Pistols, maybe not know the exact minutia, but still know the, the, oh, yeah. the legend of these Yeah, yeah. My the, friend, le- the legend of Xanadu. <laughs> my friend Adrian Smith plays in uh, Iron Maiden. And he met Paul once, and Paul's like, oh, yeah, I'm in uh, Iron Maiden. And Paul's like, oh, that's the band with the monster. <laughs> that's classic. That's classic. <laughs> yeah, at least he knew that. Uh, actually, there's something else that we have in common I want to bring up. So about 98, uh, we have a show in Tupelo, Mississippi. I have too many cocktails. I have to take a leak, and I go into the bushes right by Elvis's mom's house. Which is a monument, and uh, no disrespect to Elvis's mom or her house. Uh, reading your book, you have something in common with me on that as well, don't you? Is it to do with urine and Elvis? Yeah. <laughs> so you did that too. And well, uh, uh, at Elvis, uh, the house that he grew up in in Tupelo. Right. Is Not that a, is that still like a tourist attraction? It's, yeah. It's like you know, this is Elvis's childhood home. Yeah. Go look around. Yeah, and where, where did you uh, in the relieve bushes, yourself? In the bushes, right beside the house on the side of the Yeah. Side. So, uh, yeah, it didn't, uh, it didn't get, uh, you know, as much hassle as Ozzy at the Alamo, but then I'm reading your book, and you had an experience as well. Yeah, but, uh, but you know what? I'm going by one of the guys in the band from the professionals told me this. I don't actually remember <laughs> okay. doing it. Well, that's maybe didn't maybe that, that you, you should be uh, cleared of all all uh, crimes. Yeah, uh, don't get me wrong, man. I'm a f- huge Elvis fan, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't know that that one's kind of up in the air. That it, you may or may not have whether I pissed on, on his grave okay. or not. Yeah. <laughs> See, but that's not disrespect. That's just more uh, of a rock and roll thing. I think maybe more than yeah. I, I, would he mind you think Elvis if I did? I have a lag on there. If if it didn't actually go on him, like if, I think he would appreciate the concept of it. 
you know, I mean, he wasn't allowed to show his hips on TV. So exactly. This is just the next version of that. So he should have, he should have pity on me. For <laughs> exactly. That. Last thing, we've got some good stuff here uh, in the, at the end of your book, things that are not rock and roll. <laughs> and I never write anything down when I do a, a conversation, but I had to at least bring this to, uh, to reference. So things that are not rock and roll, according to Steve Jones, baldness. Yeah. Definitely agree on that. That's why you can still go see the Stones and McCartney and they look great because they still have their hair. Yeah. You got great hair. Yeah. So that works. Uh, did you see somebody that was bald that made you put that on there? Scorpions. <laughs> Good call. They were bald in 1984. Yeah, the singer, right? Oh, well, actually, a few of them. All, yeah. That's what I always say to Biff from Saxon. Like, dude, you guys would have been so much bigger if you guys actually had more hair. Yeah. Biff has hair, and that was about it. Yeah. You know? Double chins, definitely not rock and roll. If you want to see that on stage, once again, mix super thin. Yeah. Still hot. Looks good. Yeah. Uh, what's Perspex around the drum kit? Perspex. You know, like they put them things so you can't hear them. Oh, like the... A perspex shield. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the like the kind of the plexiglass. When, yeah, because they're using the, the bloody... Uh, the inner ears. Inner ears. So it blocks off, trying to block off any sound coming off the stage. And to me... If, if I can't hear the bloody amp and I can't hear the drums behind me, yeah. there's something wrong. You're right. And here's another thing you have in there, because I use inner ears, uh, inner ear monitors. I don't have hair plugs, but inner ear monitors, which uh, are like ear, ear plugs that are connected to a pack. Yeah. Where you can hear the entire mix on stage. Yeah. Obviously, you never had that. I'm sure it's good for your ears. Yes. And you, you won't get a tinnitus. Yes. And every nightus. <laughs> yeah. But for me, I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'll ever get to that point. The older you get, you never know. I might come mm-hmm. submit to it. You know, but when we toured in 2008, I, I never used With them. the Pistols reunion. Yeah, I like I like the Marshall. I like the field of oomph behind me. You, and I don't like wearing them in both sides because I can't, I hate the sterile sound with no crowd noise. Yeah. So I'll put one in and one out. Yeah. So at least I can hear the reactions. Yeah. But it also means that my left ear is great and my right ear is shit. Yeah. Because I can't hear. Do you much. get buzzing in it? Not yet, but after some, you know, five, six shows. Yeah. Well, no, get I get it. I get it. Know. I get it. I understand the reason for it. Do you still play live? Uh, here and there. Yeah. Get up and jam with someone here and there. Not not a lot. That's about it, right? Uh, publicists? Yeah, the not worst. You, know, you never had a publicist? I, I've had publicists. Everyone, but to me, like, they're the worst people in the world. <laughs> Worse than lawyers? Oh, man. Or managers? Well, you know, publishers just get on my nerves. They come in, they think they own the place. Yeah. You know, and they kind of, always on the bloody phone, they just bug me. <laughs> uh, click tracks. Yeah. Very un, uh, and any punk. Well, I think, un-punk. you know, any, any good records back in the 70s, I don't think were ever. You know, it's used. interesting. I'm sure you noticed this. I know you noticed this about how much more human records were in the 70s. You can hear mistakes. You know, there's a couple of those ACDC records. The guitar is completely out of tune yeah. on Power Age, for sure. You know, you don't get that anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't think... I mean, I like to hear things in tune, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But click tracks, oh, man, they just kind of limit you. You can't... I don't know. I think they ru- ruin the, the feel. I'm sure there's a million bands who have made great records that I love have been on a click track. I just thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. It's great. This is a great thing. Uh, and then the last one, well, the, the, here's good. Cunts hang out on both sides of the stage. 
Cunts who say they saw you 40 years ago but secretly hate you back then. Yeah. Cunts who get your signature and then sell it on eBay. Yeah. Very much a pet peeve of mine as well. The, the eBay thing? Yeah. Well, you'll see these guys show up at the oh, airport. I know. You see them a mile away. Oh, yeah. You know what ones they are. And there'll be like a whole mob, and then you'll say, okay, I'll do two for each. That's fair. Yeah. If I went and saw McCartney, he signed two things for me. This f- guy gets his two. And gets all the albums out. Goes to the back of the line, comes back up again. Yeah. I said, I just saw you. He said, no, you didn't. Yeah. You were just here. No, you didn't. Some of them have tricks, man. They'll get a little kid to bring up the album. That's how far they go. Yes. To judge, to, 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 to take pity on the, yeah. on the youngster, you know? Get your heartstrings. Yeah, exactly, right? Uh, then the last one, Paul Schaefer. Oh, no. <laughs> Things that are not rock and roll. He's actually, you know what? He was great in Spinal Tap. Yes. Kick me in the ass, yeah, guy. Kick us ass for a man. Already fuffkin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure he's a sweet guy. But whenever I see him jumping around on Saturday Night Live with his bald head, it's just... That's two things. He's bald and, and he's, he's Paul Schaefer. And he's not rock and roll. <laughs> I just, uh, it, it just... It just bugs me. I'm sure he's a good guy. He's played on a lot of big records too, but... He's always on stage when they do the Rock and Hall of Fames or anything like that. That's another reason, band. Yeah. Oh, That's right. Rock and Hall of Fame also in your list over yeah. there. What's, uh, what's your favorite band of all time? Oh, man. This one that sticks out? Well, it's one of it's one of them fa- uh, the, the fa- faces, Roxy gotcha. Music, David Bowie. It's one of them three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut it down to three. Depending what day it is. Yeah. How about a Pistol song? Bodies I like. Mm. No feelings. Holidays in the sun. Liar. Seventeen. They're my favorite. A lot you know, of good ones there, yeah. You know, the ones I wrote. <laughs> Steve, it's been a blast, man. Yeah, mate. Thanks a Thank lot. Thank you so much, my friend. What a great hang with Steve Jones, and you should check out this radio show, Jonesy's Jukebox, on 95.5 KLOS. If you're ever in Los Angeles, he tells the stories of some great music guests and, of course, plays a lot of cool tunes, and he's super funny. He's funny AF, as you heard. Uh, thanks again to Steve Jones. Check him out on iHeartRadio. I'm sure it's up on there as well. And thanks to all of you for being here and listening and laughing, and thanks to all of you for checking out uh, this show and leaving it ratings and reviews and doing the same for all the great shows on the Jericho Network, Killing the Town, Rock Talk, Raven Effect, Keeping it 100. Beyond the darkness, get that paranormal fix every Wednesday, every weekday, uh, Monday through Friday with brand new episodes. Uh, lots of lots of great stuff, man. Lots of other shows coming too. I got a couple good ones uh, on the wire that you're going to enjoy. And um, trust me when I tell you, there's some good stuff coming up both on the Jericho Network and right here on Talk Is Jericho. Because uh, next Friday, well, I'll tell you in a second, it's going to be your next Friday. But I want to thank you for being here and thank you for supporting all the great sponsors of this show. Bombfell. Get $25 off your first vouchers at bombfell.com slash Jericho. MyBookie. Join now at mybookie.ag. Mybookie.ag and use the promo code Jericho to have MyBookie match your deposit up to 100%. Then there's Little Caesars. Get the extra most bestest pizza for just 6 bucks plus tax at participating location. Of course, True Car. Cheaper, quicker, easier car buying experience. Thank you for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. And coming up on Friday, who's got the best guests for you? I'm talking about the brand new NXT champion, Drew McIntyre. He is returning to talk as Jericho three years after he was fired. Uh, I had him on the show two days or three days after he was let go by the WWE. And 
now he's back two or three days after he's the new NXT uh, world champion. Goes to show that you can do anything you put your mind to. We'll see you on Friday. Thank you so much. In the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. God save the queen. We mean it, man.